Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Hey, welcome back to an episode of Extra Conversations. It's me, Pastor Dave, and I am here with the very beautiful, very talented Desiree Johnson, my wife. Yes, hello. Hello. And uh, why do I have you here today, sweetie? I can't do that to you? No. She just looked at me. <laughs> okay, I have her here today because the question we were asked is probably one of our favorite things to talk about in person, just between the two of us. Yeah. We talk about things, and it's one of those questions that when you go through the Bible, you can't like fully develop a complete theology on it because it's segmented across the Bible and you get glimmers and glimpses of what it's supposed to be of what the answer is supposed to be. But it's one of those things that I think in first Corinthians 13 tells us, you know, sometimes we see in part, but one day we're going to see the full picture of all of this. And so uh, today we're talking about judging angels yeah. Yeah. This is uh, something that comes up in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this question is from our friend L here at church, and she wrote uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Uh, do you know, do you not know? I'm sorry. Let me start that over. Do you know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? That's the verse. And then L asks the question, it seems to me that Paul is exhorting us to be perfect in how we judge by using God's wisdom because it prepares us to judge angels. All this is sanctification. God is purifying our bodies, our motives, our actions. Am I seeing something I shouldn't? I feel like I have all the threads to a huge tapestry, but I don't know what the final design is. Can all these strands be woven together to create a beautiful whole? Great question, L. And first and foremost, in 1 Corinthians, I think that she's right in the context of it. The, the God's people were judging each other and doing a poor job. Or I want to say they weren't judging each other. God's people were going to the outside courts, right? Yes. They were going to the outside courts. They were quarreling. They were quarreling. There's lawsuits among believers. Yeah. And what he was saying is, wait, wait, what about all this bragging in 1 Corinthians 1 through 3? You guys were boasting about how wise you were, and you you can't even judge your own disputes. Don't you know that one day you are destined to judge these angels? Yeah. Right. And the 21st century American reader kind of throws their hands up and goes, okay. What's that mean? What does that mean? And yeah. then we just blow right past it, honestly, right? Absolutely. I mean, for years it was like, oh, yeah, we get to judge angels. That's cool. And then we just move on. So... Ella is asking the question, like, are these parts of a thread that go to like a big quilt? And I think the answer is yes, absolutely they are. Um, but it's more than just being perfect in how we judge. Wouldn't you say, sweetie? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and where you have questions and where you have, you know, because eventually we will be perfect in how we judge because we'll be in the presence of all truth and perfection. And that's in the presence of the Lord. And have full knowledge. And have full knowledge, which we do not have now, clearly. Uh, but one day we'll have that, correct? Absolutely. Okay. 
So where on earth does Paul get this idea? What is Paul's theology about judging angels? It seems weird, doesn't it? Absolutely. Okay. So first and foremost, I want to point out that in Ephesians 6.12, Paul does have a theology of powers that are not human operating within the physical world. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's not saying on the earthly realms. So who are these people, right? Part of the, first I want to answer biblically, and then I would, one of the reasons why I have my wife here is we've been reading the book of First Enoch together. And that's not a book of the Bible. It should not be taken as scripture. But what it should be taken is, as is context. Something that Paul was reading. Something that James was reading. Something that Jude in the Bible references. Something that's referenced in the book of Revelation. Something that's referenced in scripture. So people reference it. They were clearly reading it. It clearly was filling their imagination. And so what does that have to say about these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? Yeah, and how might reading that make us aware of what they were aware of exactly when they were writing it? Yeah. Exactly. So first and foremost, I think that we should go to Daniel chapter 10. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 does, it's one of those, okay, a lot of people just read, like when you hear teaching series on the book of Daniel, a lot of times it's Daniel chapters one through six, because it's like, we'll get to the lion's den. And then after that, whew, you know, chapter seven gets it weird. It gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chapter seven is like these visions of the son of man and these beasts and, um, all those things. So Daniel chapter 10, let me just start reading it. Uh, he basically says in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions. Oh, he was ashy. No lotions. Until three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river of the Tigris. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uhaz or Uphaz, I don't know how to say that word, around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face was like lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs were like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Who was with me? Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and was and listened to him and fell into a deep sleep, sleep my face to the ground. A hand touched me, and seeing, um, and seeing, I'm sorry, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my own hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said these things to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day 
uh, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourselves before God, your world, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. So this being, this person has come in a response to prayer to Daniel's words. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And we're not going to go into the vision there. But Daniel here is standing at the banks of the Tigris, and this glowing man shows up and says he was detained by the prince of Persia. What is going on there? Do you have any thoughts on that, sweetie? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It is weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And it kind of goes back, it harkens back to, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, maybe, maybe uh, Paul was thinking. So was the shining spiritual being that came to Daniel... Was he sent from God? It seems that way. Right. Okay. Because he's answering Daniel's prayer. Okay. It, it Could it be the angel of the Lord? I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't say that. Typically where you see Ooh. the angel of the Lord, you see in human form, um, like in the burning bush, things like that. Well, could the angel of the Lord be stuck like with the Prince of Persia? Could Probably. he be detained by the Prince of Persia? I doubt it. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah, the Prince yeah. of Persia more powerful than the <laughs> right. angel of the Lord? No, right. no. Because the angel of the Lord, spoiler it's Jesus yeah. in the Old Testament right. in human form. So um, I, that, that's going to take another whole podcast to unpack, but we could do that uh, one of these days. But the point is, where does Daniel even get this idea that this geopolitical spiritual prince is holding up one of God's messengers. So I think Daniel was talking to an angel of the Lord. Me too. No, not of the not the angel of the Lord, but an angel sent from the Lord. From sent from the Lord. Right. And so where does Daniel even get this idea? So it all comes back to something called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And this gets a little bit hairy when you're reading scripture because different translations of the English Bible translate Deuteronomy 32 a little bit differently. I find in this context that ESV is the most faithful to the um, most faithful to the original text as much as I could tell. But on the other hand, I'm not like carte blanche uh, saying go out and buy ESV Bibles. Uh, there, it's a decent translation. I get a little bit upset with the translators of ESV when it comes to Paul's writing because I feel like they've added some words in 1 Corinthians 11, and I could go down that rabbit hole with you another day. Um, it gets a little bit annoying to me the way they translate that. Anyways, but the ESV in the Old Testament is really, really good. And Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind— he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So what that means, essentially, is that God has some angels overseeing nations. And is this what happened as a result of the fall of Babel? We'll get to that. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. 
Yeah. Um, so he has angels who are overseeing physical nations. Uh, nations, people. Now, not necessarily like when you think nations today, you think of America, America with its yeah. borders. You think right. of Canada, Mexico, all that stuff with its borders. In biblical times, the word with was ethnos. And so it's ethnicities or people groups, right? So there's an angel over your people group. And so we know that some of these angels are fallen, right? Right. Right. So some of these angels are fallen angels. And, well, how do we know that? Well, they weren't when they were assigned. They, they pr yeah, probably weren't when they were assigned. Yeah, they were not when they were they assigned. They were not when no. they were assigned, or he wouldn't have assigned a fallen angel over a nation. True. Yes. 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 So, but somewhere along the way, they fell. There was a spiritual rebellion against God. So yes. just as much as that there is this human rebellion, Adam and Eve sinned against God, they fell into the trap of the serpent. There's a spiritual rebellion as well. Do you want to talk about that now? This is no. where we get into Desiree's No, uh, <laughs> no I'm agreeing project. with you. I'm agreeing okay. with you. Okay. So again, this is all part of the question about the tapestry. Like what's the bigger role here in, in this giant tapestry of uh, theology here? So then we go back to Genesis chapter 6. And Genesis 6 really actually highlights really well to first Enoch six, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute too. So Genesis six says that when humans begin to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, wait a second. We just read in the ESV that the nations were divided. The nations were divided among the sons of God. Hold on. I got to get my wife some water. That's okay. I muted her microphone so she could cough. The nations were divided up according to the numbers of the sons of God. So when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, uh, for they are mortal. Their days will be um, 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old and men of renown. <sighs> okay. That's so good. Uh, yeah, well, tell us why that's so good. You're freezing <laughs> up. <laughs> I, that's just too big of a question. Yeah. I, that just the whole thing is so good. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we've been working back now. So let's, let's trace our listeners through what we've been working back to. Okay. Okay. Paul... Uh, also has this theology that when he wrote to the book, to church in Ephesus, our struggle is not against other humans, but it's against evil powers in the heavenly realms. Right. Right. Okay. Where does he get all this stuff, all this idea? Well, Daniel 10 has this whole conversation about like Daniel interacting with a geopolitical power from an, yeah. from like a, an angel. Um, I actually think that it's Michael. Um, it says it's Michael. It says it's Michael. Yes. Yeah, we didn't. We just didn't read that far. Okay, it says it's Michael. We, we just did, did read that. Oh, did we? Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. I got too much going on in That's the old okay. brain. Okay. Sorry, I got to turn this heater down. It's getting hot. And I think it's so good because it talks about where those spiritual powers come from. Yes. It gives us context. Now, this is the difficult <clears throat> thing about the Bible sometimes 
is that it would be really, really nice for us 21st century people, 2,000 years removed from the Bible, if Paul was like, let me just break this all down for you guys. Here's what I'm getting at. But he assumed his readers had this context. Right. He assumed it because they were people who read the stories of Enoch. They were people who read the Old Testament Torah and who just, this was just part of the air that mm. they breathed. Yeah. Mm. So Genesis chapter six reveals that the sons of God, so these um, angels of the angels of God sinned against God by coming down and marrying women. marrying women and having children with them. The children became the Nephilim. Right. That's what the biblical text tells us. And the Nephilim are like another huge, like tons of people. I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, what's the deal with the Nephilim? You know, I could be a, a multimillionaire by now, I feel like, um, well, invested with compound interest, maybe. Um, <laughs> You'd have like six dollars. I have like yeah. Six... Lots of people don't ask that question. No, I <laughs> literally tons of people have asked me that question. And before I started reading, uh, like Heiser and some other people, I just was like, oh, I don't know. It's a weird story. Let's just keep moving. But uh, why? Why did the sons of God come down and bear children with the daughters of men? Yeah. So uh, we don't necessarily have that answer in the Bible, except for to say the what seems like the most uh, logical answer, um, unless you got something else to say on this, is that just as Adam and Eve lost eternal life, these people were sort of making eternal life in their own way. Hmm, yeah, I felt I I think it's always been my understanding that they were trying to create life in their image. Yes, create life in their image, not in the image of God. Not in the image of God. Yeah, and but that's to actually birth children being their image bearers. That is a very good distinction. And that's the height of rebellion against the Lord, right? right? Because he created these creatures. And so now the dark forces, the angels of the spiritual realm are coming down and creating creations. They're creating. Yeah, making their own creations. Yeah, in their own yeah. image. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's huge to see that not only is there a human rebellion, but there's also a spiritual rebellion and that there are evil powers in our world. Well, I think it's even, yeah, it's an incredible rebellion because these sons of God have been in the presence of God. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we don't have like tons and tons and tons of sources in the Bible that talk about this. Well, we don't have even a few. I mean, we have very few. Yeah, we just have these threads. Now, we've mentioned the book of First Enoch. And I would like to read First Enoch 6, because that's sort of the bulk of, uh, of this. Uh, my wife, Desiree, and I have been reading Enoch together and saying, okay, what does this mean? Again, with the understanding that biblical authors had this in mind. This is, um, Enoch was written probably during the Second Temple period. So if you have a, a mind, an idea of like when the Old Testament ended, there's 400 years of silence sort of written during that period of time. Um, so uh, let me read First Enoch 6, and it will give a little bit more context. And I think the best way to look at this is rabbinical commentary of Genesis 6. That's probably the best way to look at this. Yeah. Okay. Um, or actually, you know, I'll say it this way. It is, it could be fictional commentary even, in the same way that, 
um, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis yeah. is like fictional commentary, like right. the Great Divorce. Yeah. Like you, you read the Great Divorce and you go, oh yeah, that's the way heaven's mm-hmm. gonna be. That's mm-hmm. that's the way it is. Like it, it it connects so much with scripture, but it's not scripture. It, you know, it's sort of written in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But it was also done in a way of like, this is what we truly understand. Or even I think about, not to say the book of Enoch is in any comparison to the words of Jesus, but he spoke in parables, right? Like telling a story to paint a bigger picture. Exactly. Exactly. So let's read uh, 1 Enoch chapter 6. And it came to pass that when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels of the children of heaven saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semajaz, or Semajaza, I'm not entirely sure. You you might know that. Oh, I don't have that. Okay, Semajaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And all, and they all answered him and said, let us swear an oath. All bind ourselves by mutual implications not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual implications upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. Hmm. So that is First Enoch 6. And it covers the fall of these angels that Enoch will call the Watchers. Right. Yeah. And that phraseology of the Watchers is alive in like the book of Ezekiel. Right. But Watchers in biblical ideas, in... It kind of goes back to the idea of the eyes of the Lord roam the earth, right? And his eyes are his divine counsel, are his angels. Yeah, it seems like there's all these different spiritual beings that God creates, and then they have a job, right? So like an angel is a messenger of the Lord, or there's a watcher that is, you know, guarding over or watching over. Right, right. So some more verses. I actually did not, um, what's the, I didn't write down where in Enoch this was. I just copied and pasted it. Um, the watchers taught them all kinds of things that was heavenly knowledge. Mm, yeah, I like that part. So let me read uh, that part. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, it's more the the what Enoch said to them. It says, you have been in heaven, but all the mysteries have not been revealed to you. And you knew worthless ones. <laughs> and these, in the hardness of your hearts, you have m- uh, made known to the women all these mysteries. Women and men could work much evil on earth. Say to them, therefore, you have no peace. Yeah. That was the like, hey, you taught men and women all these mysteries. And some of the mysteries that men and women learned were like the working of metal. Yeah. And these fallen angels taught them the workings of metal to make war, not to like do profitable things on earth, like farm. You know, they taught them jewelry. Um, Well, why jewelry, you know, to like lust after each other or something like that. I forget all the things. Would any of that be like witchcraft, do you think? Yeah. And well, some of it was like the knowledge of roots and spells and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I, but I love what is, read the part again. What does Enoch say? 
you learned uh, you learned well, he not was saying even the important things. All the worthless ones. The worthless ones. He says that like you have to realize that you still, even in heaven, you fallen angels, did not know all the secrets of heaven. You had this heavenly knowledge and you didn't even know all of them. Ooh. And you taught, they had not been revealed to you. And you taught these humans the worthless ones, the worthless secrets of heaven. Ooh, so why will the, the knowledge be revealed to us, but it wasn't revealed to them? Well, I think the knowledge will be revealed to those who are faithful and who are with God. I mean, now we're 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 getting dangerously close to, to Gnosticism here uh, <laughs> about secret knowledge and all that well, stuff. Well, I'm just wondering. I mean, up until this point, these watchers were faithful servants of of God. No, the watchers were faithful servants of God up until to they this made point. this kind of pact. I would out. say, according as, to Enoch, of course. I would say, as far as we know from what huh. Enoch says, yeah, because they weren't cast out of heaven. Or... Yeah, yeah, we don't have like a great answer, okay. um, but as far as we know, okay, so yes, they were faithful servants that we know of, and then they fell. But so the question I have, like, we went a little deep here, so and there's really just much more miles to cover in the book of First Enoch that we're not going to necessarily cover today, including this question of, like, Hermon. They came on this mountain, right. Hermon. That, that, this is actually a really huge deal, but we could get back to this later. Um, the question is, why does this all matter to, to judging angels and what Paul said? Like, what's the bigger tapestry that, right. that is trying to be created? And this gets into the question that Elle was asking. And so I actually now want to go back to 1 Corinthians, but in a different place other than the judging angels part, the 1 Corinthians uh, 15, and it says this. So 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection uh, piece that Paul talks about, his theology of the resurrection. Uh, but in Christ indeed, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each its turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Who? Let me ask you this. You you might be able to answer this right away. Who is the enemy of Jesus? Satan. Satan, of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. A and what's the deal with Satan? Again, this goes. This gets. Oh gosh. We won't go there. No, we just <laughs> just real real quick. Uh, should I just read Ezekiel twenty eight? This is probably not knowledge that most people know. Uh, Ezekiel 28 uh, talks, it's a polemic against the king of Tyre. Tyre, yeah. And, um, and, oh gosh, let's see. Yeah, the king of Tyre. Maybe verse six? No, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, it compares the king of Tyre to the serpent in the garden. The serpent who caused... Adam and Eve to fall. Are you going to uh, read it? It's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it is a good one. Um, let's see. 
the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and per- perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone adorned you. Um, and then he goes on in this list of all these precious stones for a whole verse. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created by they were prepared. You were adorned as a garden cherub. So I, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. So that does answer your question. Before the spiritual beings fell, yeah. they were blameless yeah. in their ways. Mm-hmm. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till the wickedness was found in you. So essentially, Ezekiel 28 says that the serpent, the the devil, which you know Jesus talks about as being the serpent, was a garden cherub, somebody protecting the Garden of Eden, but somehow couldn't help himself in the Garden of the Lord and wanted to take these creatures and and bring them to to sin against the Lord, right? Yeah. Okay. So then, First Corinthians fifteen says, um, the end will come. Essentially, that all evil has to be put under his feet, and the evil we're talking about is not necessarily human evil. It's not necessarily your and my evil, which we we do, you know, we're being redeemed with this and changed this, and and Jesus has has forgiven us and uh, changed our desires, sanctified us, all this stuff, and, and is changing us. But essentially, the evil he's talking about is the evil of these spiritual, spiritual beings, mm-hmm. right? And so um, it, I feel like this is stuff that's just not talked about in church. And, and I'm a pastor. I speak in front of church all the time. Like, maybe that's my fault. But it's also just really, really weird. You know, like, how do you preach? People will just be left scratching their head. And maybe I just haven't cracked the nut yet on how to preach this. Um, but this is what Paul's talking about, that all evil has to be destroyed and everything has to come under his feet. Um And that's sort of what the bigger picture is. Now, moving to Revelation chapter 4, well, I just, uh, essentially, we'll we'll get to Revelation at one point, but in Revelation chapter 4, I'm not going to read it specifically, but it talks about these 12 elders, I'm sorry, 24 elders around the throne of God, always praising God. And most commentators will say that is, it's not necessarily like 24 exact, but that represents the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament. Um, the the Jewish saints and the, the Christian saints, essentially, those who um, were loyal to Yahweh before Jesus and those who were loyal to, to Jesus um, while Jesus was here and us now. That and, and Revelation talks a lot about the martyrs of the church inheriting the throne room of God and all this stuff. And so essentially, Deuteronomy 32, um, going back to that, you have God setting up the world. You have Think of all these ethnos, all these nations, and he's divided it, and he put a spiritual being over each one. But now these guys are fallen. Not all of them, probably. I don't know. Not all of them are fallen, but a lot of them fell. Now, what I think Paul envisions with this is that the saints of God are now replacing those people in the Deuteronomy 32. Can you say that again? Okay. So what I see Paul saying is, or or maybe not replacing, but the saints of God, us. Us are replacing the rulers of the nation. Maybe not replacing, but judging the rulers of the nations. 
because they have fallen. And so God is this great, it seems that he sets up his kingdom in this great democratizing way. Like he he shares his rule with his people, mm-hmm. right? And we get into these throne room and throne room of God with God. And now he has given us, there, there's this great scene in Revelation where the people are taking off their crowns and God keeps putting it back onto the people. And he's like, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. I want to share dominion and rule with you. You were meant to have this dominion and rule all the way back from Genesis chapter one. You're meant to have it. Yeah, and I think that's what Paul is telling us yeah. in his writing is you have to learn to settle disputes among yourselves because one day you're going to be settling this great dispute, yeah. which is a dispute among these rebellious spiritual powers. Right, like, and all evil has not, I mean, this has not come under the feet of, of God just yet, I guess. Yeah, I don't believe that's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, be- I mean, I think we live in a world where it's pretty clear that there are still... Like evil powers working. In oh, for sure. Yeah, in our midst. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, what does it mean practically for us today to judge angels? I think one, it means that we need to train to reign. Yeah. Like we, God in the garden, gave us rule, authority, and dominion, and we gave that up in a heartbeat. For to, a piece of fruit. For a piece of fruit. <laughs> well, no, I mean for knowledge, a lie. For to, knowledge. To yeah, for knowledge uh-huh. to believe that we can make our own. Uh, to have our own power, to have our own kingdom. Okay. Yeah, all that. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I, as the Bible Project guys say, like to define truth in our own or to define good and evil in our own terms. Our own terms yeah. yeah, I think that's a really great way of saying that. So we need to train to reign in God's kingdom because he's going to use us. And you see this other, like in the book of Revelation, again, you see these 144,000 faithful. Now, there's some groups out there who will make you believe that the 144,000 is a literal number. The point of that in the time of revelation of that writing in apocalyptic literature is that is like a bigger number than anybody could count. Like in, in their minds, that was like a quadrillion. I don't know. I'm using like a kid term. term, Bigger than anyone could count a countless number of multitudes who were reigning with God. And that's what the 144,000 were. So, Clearly, we don't even need the Book of Enoch really to um, to come to this theology. No, it's just the Book of Enoch makes it fun. Yeah, it makes it fun, <laughs> and it kind of fills in some details that we don't have. Are they true details? We don't know. Yeah, but it gives us these details. It gives context to what right. the original writer would have read and possibly believed about right the fall of these. Mm-hmm. Watchers. So judging angels is not just necessarily about you becoming a better person and more sanctification. That does happen in following Jesus. But it's about training to reign in God's kingdom. You know, this is the gospel announcement that a new kingdom is in your midst. It's breaking in amongst the old one. The earliest believers would have walked into towns announcing a new king, which was very threatening to Caesar and very threatening to all the kings and powers of that world. But they're like, we are a people with a different king and we are going to, that our king is going to like share his reigning ability, abilities with us and we get to reign with him. And so we need to train for that sort of reigning today. And part of that is setting our minds on Christ, setting our minds on heavenly things, not like capitulating to evil not going with the evil of our world because that trains us for rebellion. And I think we could be trained one of two ways. 
either to reign or to rebel. And I think really, actually, now that I'm even saying this, this is really the problem of the Corinthian church. They were, they're either going to train one of two ways, to reign with Jesus or to rebel against him. And he, I think he's saying, listen, you're rebelling against Jesus in everything that you're doing. The whole sex with the stepmother, the lawsuits among believers, eating food sacrificed to idol and causing other Christians to fall away, uh, having communion and, and leaving out the poor people. You're training for rebellion. You're not training to reign. Yeah. And the whole idea of really creating a new Eden and living in it the way that it was originally designed. Mm. Right. Because Adam and Eve yeah. had the opportunity to rule over creation, like God said, but then they allowed mm-hmm. the serpent to rule over them. And spoiler, this is probably the best way to end this podcast. That's how the entire Bible ends, by the way. Yeah. A new Eden comes down from God and replaces this fallen earth that we're a part of. And God's power comes and reigns, and, and we get to ha- share in the rule and reign of Jesus in a new heaven and in a new earth. And literally, that's the last chapter of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this, you could build a biblical theology on without ever looking at the book of Enoch. It's just fun context for us. So I hope that helps, and I hope you see that it's like a bigger thing. And then maybe one of these days, uh, sweetie, you and I could unpack um, Mount Hermon. (laughs) Maybe, you know, in in like a four-hour podcast. We could do that. Okay. All right. Well, hey, join us Sundays at 10. Thank you, Desiree, for being here. I love you. Well, I love you too. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of RAC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.